In today's reading, we join Jesus and the disciples in the garden just before he's arrested. You can find our reading in Luke 22, verses 47 to 52, on page 1284 in your pew Bible. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. While Jesus was speaking, a crowd appeared, and one called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the human one with a kiss? When those around him recognized was about what was about to happen, they said, Lord, should we fight with our swords? One of them struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Jesus responded, Stop! No more of this. He touched the slave's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, the elders who had come to get him, Have you come with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I were a thief? This is the word of the Lord. This announcement this morning from Diane and the board is just fantastically a blessing. Um, I know not a lot more than most of you in terms of how this all came about, but the little I do, and I guess I've read some more information on Craig, that's the major thing, the more I am just so excited about what God is going to do here at First Church in the coming years. For one thing, this, this is the sort of thing Greg, Craig wanted. He uh, has been serving in a denominational capacity. And uh, actually, during the COVID, my guess is anybody that worked in ministry would have had certain days that they would rather worked in the conference office than in the local church when you're trying to make it happen here on the front lines. Uh, but at this point in life, this is the sort of thing he wanted. And with his relationship with Seattle and SPU, it's, it really is a wonderful thing. His experience, his training, God has provided. As I thought about this, I thought I might just suggest a couple of ways that you might especially be praying for Craig and Bertina. Bertina. One is, you know, among maybe the most important thing, but certainly among the most important things for a pastor, is to have the day-to-day -day confidence that they are where God wants them to be. And they have that confidence now. Let's just pray it continues to grow. When they do all the stuff of making a major move, buying a house, et cetera, et cetera, all of which we will also be praying about, just that the Lord would daily give them this confidence that it's worth the extra stuff in order to make this happen. And the other thing is, pastors live by vision. Without vision, without a sense of what God is doing, then there's very little drive in a pastor's life. Here's a man of vision. God could not have accomplished through him the things he has if he isn't a person of vision. Now, let's pray together that God gives him over the coming months, it's not going to happen before he gets here, although some of it may, over the coming months, the vision 
for Seattle First Church in the coming decade plus. The sort of thing that he can see part of it accomplished each year, but the major part of it will actually grow as the decade goes on. Would you pray with me now again for Pastor Craig? Lord, thank you so much for your generosity. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that today we again celebrate that you love us and you have a plan for good for us as a people. Thank you, Lord, for the joy that comes to Sylvia and me as we realize that when our job is done here, a really good chapter will begin for this wonderful church. So now, Father, we do pray that you will give Greg and Bettina the daily confidence that all of this is from you. This is not a decision they made. This is a confirmation they agreed to. And that you are at work and you're going to work through them. And then, Father, we don't know just how soon it'll all come together. But in the coming months, will you give a compelling vision to Pastor Craig and to our leadership team and to our staff the sort of thing that will bring us together in unity so that your best can be accomplished in this wonderful place. Thank you again, Lord, for what you've done. And now we pray that you'll speak to us this morning through your word, that we may be better prepared to live as you would live in our world today. Amen. For those of you who have been with us the last few weeks, either online or in person, you know that we've been talking about some of these fascinating passages from the Gospels where we are told specifically that Jesus put his hands on someone or touched someone. And in each case, different things happened. Sometimes it was a miraculous healing. Sometimes it was a challenge. Sometimes it was a blessing. Well, this morning, we are looking at a passage of Scripture that I am sure I would have never preached on with this particular focus except for this series. Like, among the most bizarre things that are recorded in the Scripture is this event on one of the most horrible nights that are, that are described in the scriptures. When in the middle of this horrendous event, when Jesus is betrayed by Judas, and when the, the mob, and that's the best way to describe the, cr the crowd that came to take him and to arrest him, when the mob came to take Jesus into custody, that Somehow in the middle of that, Jesus Christ found a moment to offer forgiveness and healing to a man who, in a way, just was caught up in everything that was going on at that moment. You remember the context. Jesus has just had the Last Supper with his disciples and spent what could be described as an excruciating time in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now he realizes the time of betrayal has come. And so he comes 
there to the garden where this mob comes to take him into custody. Judas, the betrayer, tells the mob that the person who he kisses is Jesus. Now, Jesus was known to people. I'm not sure why they needed this added confirmation, but maybe it was because it was dark and they wanted there not to be any, any mistake at all, and maybe they wanted to make sure Jesus wouldn't escape through the crowd. So Judas comes, and commentators suggest this is not just the ceremonial Hebrew kiss. This is the kiss between two people who really care for each other. So it is truly the betrayer's kiss. And in that moment, somehow in the um, everything that was going on, Peter, trying to protect his Lord, slashes, and we doubt that he was really aiming at the man's ear, and cuts off a man's ear. How does Jesus, in this kind of circumstance, put his focus on the person who's injured rather than on protecting himself? In my mind, I go to the cross. And you know, among the very few things that Jesus says from the cross is he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So it's as if in the garden, when the worst is taking place for Jesus, Jesus is living out this same truth that he realizes that his life is a life of forgiveness, not a life of protecting himself. I've been fascinated, especially in in preparing for this message, to notice that actually forgiveness, as important it is in our theology, is not referred to very many times in the New Testament. A number of times, but not very many when you think of how important it is in the big picture. We have a parable that talks about forgiveness. Remember, we call it the unmerciful servant. Servant comes to the king. He owes just a few dollars. The uh, uh, New English uh, Bible calls it a hundred coins. And the king says, you are forgiven after he pleads for his life. That same servant then goes to a friend. Oh, I've mixed it up all all over again. Goes to his friend that owned the hundred coins. He had owned 10,000 bags. The friend owned a very little bit. And he says to a friend, pay me up or you're going to jail. And the friend can't do anything about it. He throws him in jail. And when the king discovers what's happened, he throws this, we call him the unmerciful servant, into jail because he's not forgiving. So we have a parable. We have a miracle. Do you remember when the paralytic was brought to Jesus? And the first thing that Jesus says to him Your sins are forgiven. It blows people's minds, especially the religious leaders at that time. And Jesus says to them, you know, which is easier, for me to heal a man or for me to forgive sins? In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he does to prove that he had that power. He had the power to forgive. And actually, that 
Miracle is more about forgiveness than anything, than anything else. So you have a parable, you have a miracle, you have a command where Jesus says to the disciples, do you remember Peter comes to him and says, you know, if my brother comes to me and asks for forgiveness, shall I forgive him one time or maybe seven times? And Peter's thinking, that's a lot of times. It's sort of a magical special number for the Hebrew people. And Jesus said, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And so we, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, how do we pray? We pray, among other things, forgive us our, well, it depends on what group we're with, right? Debts or trespasses or sins. We normally say uh, debts here. But if we have a guest preacher or somebody like that leading us, they may not get it right and we'll stumble through it and try our best just to smile. But the point is still the same. Jesus said, you forgive and you'll be forgiven. And we even pray, Lord, forgive us as we forgive other people. So there's this parable, there's the miracle, there's the challenge, and there's then there's, there is this awesome model that Jesus gives to us, who on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they've done. I mean, how do we, I mean, if this is the way we're supposed to live, how do we make that part of our lives? And most of us believe that when he said, forgive so you can be forgiven, He's not making a rule or a standard that if we don't live up to, we can't experience that forgiveness. What he is doing is revealing to us sort of a natural law of life that if we're not a person who forgives others, then it's going to be very hard for us to sense that we are forgiven, for us even to forgive ourselves. How do we become that sort of person? Well, the garden story is, is recorded in order for us to know how to do it. In fact, it's interesting to me that this interesting, rather almost weird incident of a ear being cut off and then being healed, that that incident is included in all four of the Gospels. Not just the arrest, but the fact that somebody had their ear cut off and Jesus healed it as a result of that. For some reason, this was un unusually important to the Gospel writers because everything that Jesus did, of course, is not included in any of the Gospels let alone all of the Gospels. Jesus was trying to model for us something of how forgiveness takes place. You see, Jesus confronted directly and publicly evil. He, he didn't just ignore or dismiss the evil that was around him. Do you remember why the disciples had, had swords? Remember in the upper room, they said, anything we ought to take with us, Jesus? And he said, well, if you have a sword, now's the time to strap it on. They said, we have two swords. He said, that's enough. So Peter, 
who John tells us was really the uh, one that cut off the ear. So Peter, I suspect, along with somebody else, had a sword on. This would not have taken place if Jesus hadn't told them to take swords. Jesus is trying to make very clear what's going on here. Evil is trying to overcome good, and Christ is showing us in those kind of circumstances, we don't ignore the evil. We don't try to make excuses for the evil. We call the evil what it is. And in our day and age, we know that so often when we think about forgiveness, we don't know what to do with it because we don't know what to do with the perpetrator, the person. I'm talking about in the church. I'm talking about among Christian people. We don't know what to do with the perpetrator because how do you forgive someone and yet keep them from doing that sort of thing again over and over again? Uh, spouses that are abused have to deal with that and so often they need help in order to get out of the place where they're being abused so it's not some way justifying evil Christ is trying to confront it publicly and directly and show at the same time he is totally in control um, remember Jesus said uh, you know, why, why do you come to me with sticks and swords? You know, if I wanted to, I could ask the Father, and he would send 10,000, a thousand legions of angels to protect me. Don't, don't you love that picture? Uh, it's from where, it's, this is where we get that song, he could have called for 10,000 angels. Jesus was totally in control at that moment. And it, the purpose was not that evil could reign or excuse it. It was rather that in this case, unless evil had a certain kind of sway, the good could not take place. So the first part of it is that Jesus knew and he confronted the evil. The, the second thing that Jesus did was he offered forgiveness um, generously and redemptively. We don't know, actually, how he performed this miracle. I uh, sometimes wonder, you know, I, he must have picked up the ear to put it back on, you know, him. He probably had his hands bloody as a result. Uh, so many things about these miracles we don't know. But it was so important to Jesus to show he was in control and to show that he could offer forgiveness even in the middle of that evil moment that uh, was going on at that time. And Jesus gave that expression of forgiveness even as he was at the most difficult time within his life. You know, there's so much going on in the world today that's hard to forgive. I have a very good friend, lives in Kentucky also, was, um, until he retired, a history professor at a couple of Christian universities or colleges, one of them being Asbury University. He has many connections in Russia and in Ukraine. This is Dr. Mark Elliott. 
And you can imagine what's been happening to his heart and mind during these days. And so periodically, he sends out sort of a plea for prayer to some of his friends, um, along with some pictures. Uh, one of them is simply some of the devastation uh, that's gone on in that city called Buka, where we have heard uh, the terrible atrocities that's taken place. That's very close to where he has special friends. Then he sent a before and after picture. This first picture is of the headquarters of one of the historic uh, Christian Eastern uh, European uh, mission organizations. Uh, that's the before picture, along with the leader at the time in front of it, and that's the after picture. The horror of what's taken place. How do people in that place forgive? How do people, when, when people in Russia, most of whom don't understand what's going on, their news is so terribly warped, when they understand what's going on, especially to, in some cases, people that are related to them. How does forgiveness take place under those circumstances? But you know, that's not the only kind of circumstance where forgiveness is so very, very difficult. Um, the longer I've been at the church here, the more I understand why a number of persons on staff and in our congregation are so committed to the set-free ministry and to the ministry of um, foster parents' support because we know that often it's the most vulnerable people. Often people that have had to be put in foster homes because of the things that have taken place they've had to experience. They've experienced the sort of things that nobody should even have to talk about. And we want to somehow bring blessing and hope and healing to those children. How do those children experience forgiveness? Here is where the model of Jesus is helpful for us. Because if Jesus could forgive from the cross, and if Jesus could tell us that when we are hurt, forgiveness is what is healthiest for us, then somehow in the model of Jesus, there can be a way for forgiveness. And you know, as I was thinking about the morning worship services this morning and, and thinking about those who would join us online, just knowing human beings, I knew without doubt there would be people sitting in our sanctuary, listening to our live feed, who would be struggling with a terrible pain, something that had been terribly done wrong to them at some point in their life, knowing that they should forgive it, but not knowing how to do it. As, as I've worked with people through the years, who struggle with this reality, I've come to the conclusion that there is for each one of us when we go through this kind of experience, there is a switch someplace inside of us, inside of our being, a, a switch that if we could only throw it, we could forgive and then we could let that person loose. Because you know, when you don't forgive someone, you carry the bitterness 
that goes along with that inability to forgive. It's almost like, a, like a, an anchor that you've got to drag through life. And the only way you get rid of that bitterness is as you forgive that person. And you can't forgive them if you can't find the switch. And often that's the case. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus is the one that can help us find the switch. For example, Jesus could forgive, he could forgive Judas for betraying him. He could, he could forgive Peter for denying him. He could forgive the disciples for running away. He could forgive um, the, the, the man who had his ear cut off. He could forgive the chief priest. He could forgive all of them because he knew his identity was not defined by what was done to him. His identity was defined by who he was in Jesus Christ. We talked about that some last week. You know, we are infinitely valuable in the mind of God. Yes, we are terribly warped by sin, but we are eternally loved by God. Our identity is not defined by what's done to us. Our identity is defined by how God looks at us. And, and secondly, Jesus, he knew where his identity was, but he also knew that God's plan for him was bigger. It was more powerful than the worst of the behavior of the scribes and Pharisees and soldiers and disciples who ran away, that God's plan for him was more powerful than all that, and that through the power of God, he could forgive, but also he could offer forgiveness to those who struggled to find it for themselves and struggled to give that to anybody else at all. And this morning, in just a few minutes, we're going to share communion together. And I'd encourage you, as you come and receive the elements, that you make this a time of celebration for the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has offered to you. There isn't anything you could ever do that would make it impossible for God in Jesus Christ to love you. No mistake you could make no sin you could commit. There's nothing you could do that is greater than the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And in his power, you have the ability, the ability to forgive the worst that could happen to you. So as you come, if there's something in your life that you realize it's been tough to forgive, Make this the moment to say to Jesus, I don't know where to, how to do it. I don't know where that switch is inside of me that makes it possible for me to forgive. But I give you permission, Lord, to throw the switch or to show to me where the switch is so I can throw it myself and use this moment to let him speak to you in that way. Um, a couple weeks ago, I shared with you how in staff meeting, from week to week, I'm asking the staff to share with me 
to share with us together a verse of scripture that perhaps has become something of a life verse, something that's become very important to them. And some of you know uh, that when Pastor Bonnie shared a life verse, her life verse was a chapter, or the better part of a chapter, and it comes from the 139th Psalm. And it really talks about identity, and it has to do with the fact that, that she was adopted. Many of you know her beautiful story. Uh, I want to read, before we receive communion this morning, I want to read for us this psalm, or a very good part of it, and just listen to it, thanking the God of the universe for who you are in him. This one, this is actually a paraphrase from the Passion, Psalm 139. How thoroughly you know me, Lord. You even formed every bone of my body when you created me in the secret place, carefully, skillfully shaping me from nothing to something. You saw who created me to be before I became me, before I'd ever seen the light of day. The number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. Every single moment you're thinking of me. How precious and wonderful to consider. Or in another translation, we could hear it again. You know me inside and out. You knew every bone of my body. You knew exactly how I was made bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing to something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one day. Your thoughts, how rare, how beautiful, God. I'll never comprehend them. Lord, this morning we celebrate the almost unbelievable fact, the reality that the Lord of the universe in between being betrayed and being crucified cared about a servant and an ear that had been cut off. Thank you that you are always thinking of us and thank you that when you think of us you think with forgiveness. Oh, how we celebrate that. We celebrate this morning as we share these blessed elements of wine and bread. Receive our praise. And Lord, for those who come wanting to give to you something they don't know how to get rid of, grant them your grace. May this be the day of freedom we pray in Christ's name, amen.